You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask Concussion Doc. Today, I am joined by a very special guest. Jenny Diamond is an OT, uh, which is an occupational therapist, for those that don't know, and she's also a certified personal trainer. She is the Director of Occupational Therapy at the Neurology Center of Toronto, and she manages a team of therapists and provides treatment to patients who have sustained concussions. Jenny is passionate about concussion prevention, education, and management. And if you want to see her, you can go and check out her website, jennydiamondhealth.com, and that's Jenny with an I, J-E-N-N-I, diamondhealth.com. You can also check her out on social media, uh, Jenny Diamond Health and at the.concussion.ot's on Instagram. And you can also check out her clinic, which is the Neurology Center Toronto. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I think the first time we chatted, you were actually listening to this podcast. So full circle. That is exactly it. Yeah, I, I sent you a message and I think I had some follow-up questions and from there, we just got chatting. So mm-hmm. right. and nice you, to pull you, things back in here. Yeah, for sure. We did we did a thing on the Concussion 6 program as well, where you came in and gave us a talk on return to work. And that is exactly what we are talking about today, because I think it's such an important topic and one that a lot of people struggle with in trying to uh, get back to work, back to life, back to everything post-concussion. And so obviously work makes up a lot of what we do. And so it's an important thing to be able to get back into. Uh, Where are my notes here? Okay. All right. Did you run into any issues with your college yet? Oh, from your, from your post. Yeah. So I guess forever, no, no issues, but for everyone listening, OTs are not allowed to say they specialize in anything because our training is general. We can work with a variety of populations. Um, so I would not say that I specialize in concussion, but I would say that I work with patients who've sustained concussions. And so uh, Dr. Marshall posted something saying that I specialized and I had to correct him on that terminology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. I hope I didn't get you in trouble. That's okay. Yeah. You're all good. Yeah. So uh, we were just chatting before we came online. You went to Western and you did yes. kinesiology. Yeah, I did my bachelor's of science in kinesiology at Western. And then I went on to pursue my master's in occupational therapy at the University of Toronto. What, why, why OT? What, what got you into OT in the, in the start? We'll ask some background questions here to set it up. Yeah, so I knew I wanted something in rehabilitation medicine. I'm I'm like working hands-on. I like making a difference in people's lives. I was always interested in health, wellness, neurology. So um, all of those things drove me. And I was really actually considering most mostly between physiotherapy and occupational therapy. And what drew me to occupational therapy specifically was really the holistic lens you can provide in healthcare. And it's not just about physical changes, but there's a huge focus on the cognitive aspects, which we'll touch on today, because those are very significant in trying to get back to work. And there's a big mental health focus as well. So I, I like that there wasn't as much of a ceiling with your typical role and, and scope of practice and that you could um, you can approach it from many different angles. So this is also a question that that you know a lot of patients will have is what is OT? 
It's a like, great question. And, and yeah, I'll give you a, I'll give you a definition and I'll give you some examples. Um, but really what occupational therapy comes down to is working with patients to help them improve their performance or participation in their daily activities. So whether that's work, school, things people like to do for fun, anything that's an important part of their daily life. And so what that actually translates to in various work settings is it might be helping school-aged children with foundational school-based skills, maybe for little kids like scissor skills or um, handwriting or, or things like that. Or it might be working with someone who has had a spinal cord injury to strengthen again and improve their function through their hands and, and teach ways to modify their movements and, and daily activities so they can feed and dress themselves. And so when it comes down to concussion, what my role is at the neurology center is to work with patients to help them get back to work or get back to school or doing all the things that are now so much more challenging because of their symptoms. And then we also do a lot of symptom management and of course provide this concussion education, which um, can be so empowering for people in their recovery once you know what is actually happening during your recovery and, and how should you be approaching your recovery. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where it's it's called occupational therapy, but it doesn't necessarily have to be vocational, right? It can be school, well, it's, life. It's function. yeah, it's a little misleading the name, but if you actually look up the term occupation, really it's anything that's an important role in your life. So if you're a father, right, like you have kids, you're, you're, one of your occupations is being a father. So it's not just your job, although we tend to use the term occupation more to think of what you do for a living, uh, but it, it really can be any important role you have in your life. Wow. I did not, I did not know that was the, the definition of occupation. So it seems like. I think this I, is why no one knows what OTs do. Right, yeah, <laughs> it, it's true. I think it's, I think it's true. Um, yeah. So it's it's actually the English language then that's that's messed up the definition, but OT has it right. Absolutely, exactly. <laughs> um, and then the your your on the concussion side, what drew you into that realm of things? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. It's it's not that I always knew I wanted to work in concussion. I mean, I, I fortunately have not had to recover from any concussions myself in the past. I have always loved neurology and the brain, and I knew I wanted to do something um, psychomotor related or um, just something related to either a brain injury or some kind of related realm of practice. Um, I actually for a while thought I was going to work in spinal cord injury and and then was introduced to more concussion scenarios and, and placement examples. And that really drew me in. But I think, so, so I'm not sure what initially captured me, but, but what continues to draw me in is how, it's a few things. One is that concussion is, it's a very, um, I need to be careful with my wording here because it is not an uplifting injury for the patient. It is incredibly debilitating and serious and, and challenging, as you know. Um, but as a healthcare provider, it's incredibly rewarding because you see your patients get better and you, you really see those changes. And I think day to day for the patients themselves, they don't always see them for quite some time longer than you do, but they come back and all of a sudden, you know, they can do 30 more minutes of reading and you're like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And so it, it really is so rewarding. And because, you know, OT, as we discussed, it's so focused around occupations and daily activities. It's such a well-positioned healthcare profession for concussion rehab because so much of concussion rehab is focused on how to get back to your activities and um, doing so 
in a slow and gradual way and um, through adaptations or through um, progressive challenges. And, and so it's just so perfectly situated for OT. So that's really what continues to draw me to this area of practice. I would have to agree with you there. I think it's the, it's the, um, the debilitating side of things for the patients that come in, especially because there is, you know, and it's getting better, obviously, but there's just so few clinicians that, you know, are able to um, understand concussion to a, a, a high enough degree to be able to impact their patients in a way that, that, you know, allows them to get better. And so when they come to you, a lot of times it's like, it's just, they've been completely misled, completely misinformed, and you can make small changes and get them on the right path. And then it's like mind blowing for the patient, right? Like, and that's the thing that I, I just love about it is being able to take somebody who's going through something so difficult and put them on the right path and see tremendous improvements um, you yeah. know, in, 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 in a relatively short period of time. Um, so I think that's- It's life-changing, really. Yeah, it, is. It, it totally is, so. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome. So I think we're, we're both on the same page there. Um, okay, so let's, 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 let's talk about your clinic, um, mm-hmm. the Neurology Center. How long have you been there? I've been at the Neurology Center of Toronto for well, going on almost four years now. Okay. And it, and is, has it been around that long or how long has it been around? So it's been around for, I believe, six years. So I got there um, about in the second year that it had been around. Um, and joined, at the time I joined, there was one psychotherapist and then a whole neurology team. Um, and then now we actually have um, two going on three psychotherapists, two physiotherapists, and now five occupational therapists, which is pretty wow. cool. Wow. And is it all concussion or is it a variety of neurological it's, issues? It's actually a variety of neurological issues. We focus primarily on concussion, chronic headache, epilepsy, and various conditions managed with medical cannabis treatment. Mm. So those are, I'd say, the four main key areas, but we see any neurological issue. Cool. And it's, o- it's OHIP covered in Ontario for people listening. Um, the medical appointments are OHIP covered. The allied health, so the physio, the psychotherapy, and the OT appointments, those would be separate out of pocket, but your basic medical appointments are OHIP covered. And, and a, lo- um, a lot of people would have coverage through, you know, employer benefits and also motor vehicle accident insurance and stuff like that. So um, exactly. a, lot, a lot of times people don't realize how much coverage they actually have for certain things. So look into mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Uh, that Actually, be- so for anyone listening, if you're listening to this podcast or live or after the fact, you're probably listening because you're working on a return to work plan. If you are on short or long-term disability and you have a case manager and have insurance through your workplace, um, make sure you ask them if there's coverage for OT, because even if it doesn't come in your normal benefit plan, they almost always have a budget that they can allocate mm-hmm. and they tend to support occupational therapy if especially if the goal of it is to help you get back to work. So if you're ready to go back to work, they will often fund OT sessions. So that is like a really big trick that I learned um, in my first year of practice. And now I just tell all my patients and um, it's, it's really amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it makes sense too, because most, most of the expense that insurance companies have is paying for long-term disability. So exactly. they are, they are highly motivated to get to get people back get you off disability back to work and so it makes sense that they would be willing to uh to put that up so i think that's that's good advice to ask 
uh, for that because I think it's it's important. So let's talk about the subject we are here to talk about, which is returning to work. Now, I'm just going to throw a couple stats out there just to show people, you know, how how big of an issue this actually is. So, mm -hmm. 30 to 40 percent of patients with concussion will end up with persistent concussion symptoms. Okay, so that's kind of the range 30 to 40 percent of patients with concussions will end up with persistent symptoms the definition of that kind of fluctuates but generally let's consider that to be around a month 60 percent of those uh, patients with pcs are still not back to work within six months of the injury so there's now getting into your you know short and long-term disability claims so that basically works out to between 18 to 24 percent of everyone who gets a concussion will be off work or out of work for six months. Now, I think this is preventable <laughs> if we were to do the right things. And I'm sure Jenny, you, you completely agree with me, but I just wanted to frame it in that way to just, to just showcase kind of what that is. Almost a quarter of patients who get a concussions, uh, who get a concussion who are adults and working will not be back to work within six months of the injury. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that's that's insane and i think it's it's a travesty because it's i think completely preventable if we were to do things the right way up front but i just think people are mismanaged off the bat but so let's start first i, I want to kind of frame it as let's talk first about pcs persistent mm -hmm. symptoms because these are the people that you're you know you're already behind the eight ball it's a little bit more of an uphill battle to try and do now that you're in this situation and then i think at the end we'll talk about um um, acute and how we can maybe prevent this and maybe do things up front. If you've just had a concussion or if you know someone who's just had it, you can send them this to say, here's what you should do up front so that you don't end up, you know, on, on disability, um, and, and off work for an extended period of time. So let's start, let's start first with, with, um, with PCS. So how do you go about helping somebody who's been off for, six months, a year, two years, three years, start that process. I'm assuming it has to do with what type of job they have. Yes. So it has, yeah. So it has to do with what type of job they have. And so, you know, there's a bunch of different assessments we'll do a lot of it, just even narrative interview style, just to get the information from them. Um, so of course we want to find out, you know, what type of job do they do? What kind of hours do they work? What's the commute like? All of these important details so that we know what we're trying to get them back to doing. And then what we need to know is, well, what is their current capacity like for their daily activities? Because it's going to make a huge difference getting someone back to work who can already do, you know, four or five hours a day of computer time, but just, you know, can't work their actual job versus someone who can barely even tolerate looking at a screen for five minutes. So we need to know our starting point and our end point is basically the first step there. And so you've established your starting point, your end point, what are the demands of the job? Where are you at now? And, you know, maybe, maybe we can think about a few kind of case examples of somebody who's, let's say, a, an office worker, somebody who's, let's say, a construction worker, somebody who does a little bit more manual work. How do you go about progressing that? Um, you know, along a, along a path. I know it's gonna be different for every patient, but just maybe a general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the protocol that I typically follow is I look at, okay, so what is the minimum number of hours we want you to be able to do and, and send you back to work and be able to do? And for most people, that's somewhere around a two to three hour workday, either two or three days a week. 
and that has wiggle room depending on the individual, on their insurance, on their employer, et cetera. So depending on what they can do, I, my goal usually is to prepare someone so that they can go back and successfully do a two or three hour workday, three days a week. That's usually where I start them from. And um, what I'm trying to do with that goal, that initial goal in mind is I'm looking at, okay, what types of activities do they need to do in that three hour workday? So let's take the example of someone with an office job who spends their entire day on the computer, um, maybe you know spends a lot of time making presentations, reviewing notes on Microsoft Excel and has lots of Zoom meetings, for example. And so we're looking at, okay, you know, before we can even consider a return to work plan, we need to make sure you can do three hours of those types of work-like activities. And so we're going to get them practicing reviewing documents on Excel. We're going to get them practice creating presentations. We're going to get them practice FaceTiming or Zooming and, and engaging with video calls. And so um, we basically see, can they get up to that three hours? And, and that's with various accommodations, you know, things like, and we can get into, you know, what types of accommodations might someone have, but just for one example, um, a really common accommodation I give people to start off with is taking a five to 10 minute rest break every 30 minutes throughout their workday. So they've done 30 minutes on the screen, they get up, they take five minutes, take some time away from the screen, do some breathing, do a meditation, come back, okay, next half hour block. So once they can do that three hours, we know it's realistic. We can probably get them back to work if they can do three hours of work-like activities. Now, for someone who is in construction, you know, that might involve heavy lifting. That might require um, more exercise stamina. We need to look at, you know, are they exercising, which should already be part of their rehab plan anyways, because we know that is one of the key pieces to getting better. And, you know, how much, how high is their heart rate going to go? Is that going to trigger symptoms? So all these other factors, really you're looking at what are the demands of the job and can you mimic those as close as we can? Um, I, I have a lot of teachers actually, I, I guess, because right now it's, it's early November and September, October, I've had tons of teachers, I guess, with school coming back. And we've done a lot of work around seeing, you know, in some cases, teachers are, are volunteering or, or shadowing in classrooms to get exposure to the busyness of the classroom, the lights, the noise. And if they can't go to the classroom, they can do that in a coffee shop or they can do it in on a busy street or, you know, trying to mimic those work-like activities. So um, I guess I'll just add one more note here to wrap up this answer and then I'll, I'll pass it back over to you. But um, what I like to do is say, okay, if you can do a three hour mimic workday, simulated workday, um, I'm not convinced you can necessarily do a three hour real workday because that's gonna be harder than a three hour simulated one. So I actually try and get people to build up to a four hour simulated workday from home. And if they can do that, I feel confident that they can do a real three hour workday because a real workday is going to have increased stressors, probably more demands, um, anxiety is going to rev up, right? All these things. So uh, that's usually my initial plan for starting someone off. And in terms of, you know, at what point do you say, um, let's send you back to work or, or let's start this plan to go back? Usually it's once they're a lot closer to that even initial three hour mark, then we say, okay, things are looking optimistic. You can do three hours. Let's get you to four in the meantime, and we'll start the process of, you know, choosing a return to work date and getting all that set up. I mean, now in the in the era of 
COVID and work from home and Zoom and email and everything else, and a lot of people are able to be remote, do you ever start them early with return to work and just like reduced hours? Because you're cutting out commute, you know? So I've, you know, I've done this with patients, um, you know, more recently where it's like, okay, let's, let's start with just two hours, but at home-based work and you can kind of stretch it, you know, do you ever do that? Absolutely. And even pre-COVID, I mean, a lot of my recommendations were starting people from home because they had more control over the lighting and their environment and the sound. So that COVID has definitely made that easier for most, although there are some patients who working from home has been worse for them because they have little kids running around and it's noisy. And so it just, it, it's very patient dependent. I would say the majority of patients I work with working from home has been helpful in that sense. Um, now there is the isolation aspect of it, which has been further challenging in other ways, but from a work tolerance perspective, yes, working from home is helpful. And yes, I, I have patients who we've started even with a one hour work day like that. It's more rare. Um, I find it tends to, to be around what insurance wants to do. So insurance tends to have um, minimum hours that they like to have people go back at. And um, depending on, you know, the patient, I mean, if they're working from home and insurance and their employer is okay with it, yeah, we can send them back for one hour, but um, it's a lot harder to go from one hour of work to two hours of work than it is to go from three to four or even two to three. And if you think about, you know, a percentage of if you do one hour, you're doubling that, right? Versus if you do a two hour work day and add one more hour, well, then that's just a third, right? Yeah. That you're adding on. So, um, or you're, I guess, adding on half that more my, right. my fractions are a little confused but you, you get you get the gist of what I'm saying right yeah. so the percentage gets smaller of the additional effort so it part of why I tend to push for the two or three hour minimum rather than one is because I have more confidence in their success yeah. um, and because the last thing I want is for a patient you know to go back to work and then have to come off work again Right. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way in terms of the, the overall, cause I think, you know, going from one to two is not a big deal, but when you put it that way, it is, it's, it's, big, you're, you're, it's doubling a big difference. It. Yeah, you're doubling it. You're, yeah. And I say that to my patients for all their activities too. Like when they're trying to read again or do screen time, you know, if they're at one or two minutes and that's brutal to add on one more minute is still going to be really, really hard. But once they have 10 minutes under their belts, well, mm-hmm. to go from 10 to 11 minutes, that's only 10% more. That's, that's no big deal. So, right. um, I think that plays a big role. And then the other thing is once they've started their return to work, insurance is like pushing, 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 pushing. Like they only want them to spend, you know, one to two weeks at each stage before they go to the next. So again, I'd rather send them back in with like the most support and the most likely success. And so that's just sort of where I've I've seen that situation, but I've definitely done one or two hours. It's more case by case. Yeah. And I mean, just, just speaking about that insurance, you know, thing, and I think that's where, they, uh, I think that's where the insurance industry kind of shoots themselves in the foot by by trying to to rush this, especially if somebody's mm-hmm. been out been out for a while, right? Like somebody who's just injured. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'm just as likely to push them back fairly quickly too. But somebody who's been out for a while, when you start putting that kind of pressure on them to, you know, speed the process up, 
they're only going to just go, they're only going to hit a wall and end up set back and end up starting from scratch again. Like it just, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not, well, it's, it's it, doesn't serve, right? it doesn't serve the purpose. Yeah. It's just Absolutely. And like we, we, it's funny how, you know, people don't re- recognize this more, but we know the impact that stress and anxiety has on our performance and on our health. And so you'd think, you know, these people should be making you feel as good and comfortable as possible. And thus you'll be more successful in your return to work. So I think this is something that people don't recognize as much as they should. Well, think about it from like a productivity standpoint. You can't, you can't think straight. You can't be productive when you're coming at, when you're coming at it from a place of anxiety and stress, like mm-hmm. that's you're you're in an overwhelmed state. And if you think about it from like an autonomic nervous system, you know, dysautonomia, um, you know, sympathetic dominance, and, you know, all of a sudden you throw the stressor in of like, oh shit, next week, I have to go up to this much like that right there all of a sudden just hits like I don't think I'll be able to do this and then that adds that overwhelming anxiety feeling whereas if you go okay I have time you know and I've built the confidence to know that I can do it Mm -hmm. and now that I have the confidence going up that one extra spot is not going to be a big Mm -hmm. deal for me um and I think that's where the insurance industry needs to understand that because they actually shoot themselves Mm -hmm. in the foot by you know blowing blowing the absolutely And I think, you know, something I do with that in mind too, to help my patients feel more at ease and to give us more wiggle room to modify the plan ongoing, because as you know, there's no timeline for concussion. I mean, we can, we have our clinical judgment and sense of, oh, this person's here, it might take them this long to get to here, but there's really no telling at the end of the day. And so something that I always include in my work letter for patients to their employer or to their insurance is just a little, um, a little note at the bottom of our plan saying, note this, this plan is subject to change according to the patient's um, symptoms and, and activity tolerance and will be modified ongoing with occupational therapy support. And it just sort of gives us this out. And what I've had is, you know, let's say a patient is at four hours a day, three days a week right now in their plan. And they're like, you know what, I'm really struggling. Like I just, and I think, you know, they're, they're close. Like, I don't want to send them back. I don't want to take them a step back, but I don't want to progress them either. Cause that's not going to be good. You know, we, we send a little letter off. We say, we're going to keep them here for two more weeks and then reassess. We give them two more weeks. Their body and brain have adjusted by them. They feel better. Bam. We're good. We go to the next stage. And are they pretty, you know, accommodating with that? Usually because they don't have a choice. And so it, it's really funny because, you know, insurance companies typically want a week by week guideline, you know, week of November 1st, this is how many days and hours and when you're working. And then the week of November 8th, the same thing and so on and so forth. And so when a company requests that, well, of course, yes, like we'll do our best to spell it out for them and say, no, this is subject to change. But my favorite scenario and where I usually start is I actually don't offer up a week by week plan. Um, First of all, I used to even say week one, week two. Now I actually just say phase one, phase two, because we don't know how many weeks we're going to be at each phase for, right? So when they request week by week by week, I do it in phases. If they must, if they insist on weeks, then I say, you know, between two to four weeks at at each stage. So this might change. Um, But uh, yeah, so what I, what my go-to model is for this is actually not to lay out a week-by-week or phase-by-phase plan, but just say they're going to return to work at this number of days and this number of hours. Let's say it's three days a week, three hours a day. Um, And then from there, continue to progress with ongoing occupational therapy support. 
And that way there's no pressure on the patient. We see how they're doing. They want to get back to work. They want to progress. I mean, it's in their best interest. They're, they're not getting paid their full salary by their insurance. So, you know, even just financially speaking, most people are going to want to get back to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we just see week to week and we have our own plan together with what we're aiming for. But that way, you know, it doesn't, what ends up happening is we have to go back to the insurance and we have to say, here's the updated plan. And then this week gets pushed here and this week gets pushed here. And so I just find if the insurance accepts that, I start with that. Sometimes they accept it. I'd say 30% of the time they accept it. 70% they come back. They say, can you lay it out week by week? And so then we do that. Right. Do you ever deal with, and I don't even think it's mostly insurance. I deal with employers that, Mm -hmm do not want to provide any type of graduated return. It's either all or none, right? And, and you know, I'm thinking of a particular case, you know, where um, an individual was promoted to a, a higher, you know, stress kind of role with a lot of moving parts right before they got their concussion injury. And my recommendation was to go in and shadow that particular role and, and, and kind of gradually work into that so that you kind of get the lay of the land because he had never really done the job. And then now he's off for six months. And the employer was saying, basically, if you can't do the job, you can't come in. How do you deal with that? Like aside from setting up, and I mean, this was like production line stuff where they're monitoring, moving production lines, having to like, you know, like there's a lot going on there. I'm sure. And you could, you would have difficulty even recreating that in a home environment. So, you know, what would you do in that type of scenario? Yeah, it's a tricky scenario. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it is pretty rare when an employer says, you know, no, you can't do modified hours. I think more often I see you can't do modified duties or we can't, you know, we can't accommodate, like, you know, in a perfect world, I would have my patients go back to work and not have any um, set fixed short-term deadlines. I would have them not learning any new responsibilities, but doing more familiar tasks to start, you know, transitioning into progressively more challenging things. So in a case like this, where um, I guess in this example, were they saying, you know, you can't even come in for like a half day per se, you have to come in full-time hours. Was that what the, yeah, Yeah, that's, so that's like, so upsetting for these patients and um and I don't know it's tricky because they they have the duty to accommodate um but technically you know they could argue well but it but and up until the point where it's not feasible right so they could say well you know given the structure of our our workplace it's not feasible and you know you could get a lawyer and, and take them to court but really you know who wants to deal with that when they already are struggling to function day to day with a concussion and um, so it's, it's a whole complicated mess. Um, what I've done, which has been helpful in the past is I've had meetings with myself, the patient and their employer. So usually my communication is back and forth with the patient and they're telling me, you know, my employer said this, my employer did this. When you as a healthcare provider get on a call with the employer and see each other face to face as humans with, with the patient, um, it's a lot harder to, to say no. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you as a healthcare provider are saying, you know, this person's not going to get better unless they do X, Y, and Z. And they're, it's, it's not going to help their recovery. It's going to make them more sick. Um, I find people tend to get a little more creative and because you as a healthcare provider and an expert in concussion understand, you know, what's beneficial. And then the employer is an expert in 
the work duties and roles available, you can put your heads together and come up with, okay, what's actually reasonable for the workplace? And then what do I see as reasonable for, for my patient? That's good. That's good. Um, the other thing I was thinking is I should get an employment lawyer on this show to talk about what the rights are of- That um, would be incredible. Because I don't think that, I don't, I don't understand it, obviously. And I don't know if you have any insight mm-hmm. as to what the employer is actually required to do. Do you have it? Do you know? Like, are they required? So- you said- you said something it's, along that line. I was I was just going to try and press you on it a little bit, but like yeah, I, I'm going to pull up the exact wording. But I think it's it's basically like duty to accommodate till undue hardship is basically what it is. Um, but it's like define undue hardship. Like it, it's it's a bit of a general uh, legal 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 right? legal legal. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But there's a show on Netflix right now called Made. And yes, I was just. And, I knew what you were referring to. Yeah, and she's in court and she's trying to battle, but she's 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 representing herself. And they did such a clever thing on the show where the lawyer stands up and talks to the judge and just goes legal, 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 legal. And it's just supposed to show you how like we as lay citizens would just not understand what the hell was going on. So anyway, exactly. that's why that's why I said that. So, exactly. under so, so maybe maybe having a legal legal on might be. The way to that would be awesome and explain examples and it, it's hard because what is undue hardship i mean like even having someone on disability yeah like that probably is hard on your on your company because you're paying someone to be off and you're paying someone to do their job and and you're shorter staffed and right so it is hard um but w- to what point you know is is that accommodation um should it be honored or not and it's it gets really tricky um but i definitely have patients who have had to work with employment lawyers and I'm seeing some people in the comments saying employment 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 lawyer on the show would be amazing so um I look forward to hearing that episode I am going to put that on the list um, amazing so I think that I think that would be good um just because it's like you know a lot of times it's like you don't want to go through the hassle of trying to find somebody just to get this advice but knowing your rights I think would be super empowering mm-hmm. um you know and so if you could put that out there in a domain that allows people just to see it you know, on YouTube or on a podcast or something and just understand that they have, you know, certain rights and and the employer's Mm -hmm. certain obligations might allow them to, you know, advocate for themselves from a place of a little bit more strength. So I think that's a good, that's a good idea. Um, Now, obviously, if you're doing a physical job, this is how I do it. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I usually make sure that they can pass a treadmill test before I allow them to go back to a physical job. Is that kind of how you roll too? Or so we, yeah, we do a similar, we do a bike test with our physios. So treadmill test modified on the bike. Yeah. Um, I'm, I usually, what I do is I defer to the physio. So mm-hmm. that would be more with, or a chiro, and that would be more within their scope of practice, working on the physical aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I help with exercise training and, and building things up, but in terms of making that call, can they, are they physically fit to return? Uh, I usually defer to, to the physio or chiro for that. And then um, cognitively fit. Um, so, you know, obviously modifying, you know, duties as much as you can and and progressing things as much as you can. Um, and I know that you do a lot of, you know, cognitive based rehab strategies. What is your, um, cause I have, I have, I go back and forth on this a little bit and I'll, and I'll, I'll kind of explain that after, but what's your kind of process for determining like, you know, when to impose cognitive based rehab and what type of rehab to include? Is it purely based on Mm -hmm. symptom report from the patient? Like I'm feeling like I can't remember things. Like, how do you go about that? Great Great question. So I would say, you know, because most of the patients I work with are concussion, mild traumatic brain injury, um, the large majority usually have 
pretty strong, good insight into their challenges and strengths. Mm. So I would find it very unusual if one of my patients had significant cognitive issues, uh, but weren't aware of those. And, and perhaps they don't know maybe to the extent necessarily, but I would say large majority of my patients have, have pretty good insight. So usually I start with patient report. And depending on what the job is, I would consider potentially, and, and depending on what their symptoms are, I would consider doing a more in-depth cognitive assessment. So our clinic has a cognitive assessment that we do through another party, uh, I guess not clinic, but uh, organization. And we do a series of cognitive tests through them. Um, and that helps to just create more of an objective display of, of what's going on. Now, what I found is that most of what we find in these reports is consistent with what the patient reports, which is great because it means it's, it's doing a good job and it's, it seems to be pretty accurate. Um, it's, it's not definitive one way or the other. It's one additional piece of the puzzle that you can refer to and, and have some more um, objective information from. Um, but usually what I do is a combination of patient report and or a formal cognitive assessment. And then based on the challenges identified, we go through some rehab strategies for those. And then we either redo that cognitive assessment and or see what the patient report is like on their challenges uh, and go from there. And the thing that's really nice actually about going back to work with cognitive challenges is a lot of the strategies and accommodations that are used for these cognitive issues tend to be very appropriate in a work setting. So for example, where my patients struggle is they can't remember key points from a work meeting. Well, they can write it down and take notes. And so, and so where they actually struggle is socially because they're not gonna be talking to a friend with a pen and paper in their hand, taking notes as their friend is talking to them, having a normal conversation. So we have other things that, that we do for that, but from a work setting, it's actually very conducive to various accommodations. So I'll give you my, um, my, my, I don't even want to call it a hesitation, but my thought on it, and I've talked to neuropsychs about this as well, is that a lot of patients that perceive cognitive problems actually test within the range of normal on many neuropsychological evaluations, right? So because somebody, because some of this stuff is very subjective that, um, and I don't know how much of this is, is included, but it's been heavily studied that, you know, like things like nocebo effects and things where if you perceive that because you've had a concussion, you're going to have memory impairments, attention difficulties. It, it seems to manifest. And right. so even headaches, even everything. I, the classic example is, you know, my, my patient tells me they went out to Ikea and they came home and had to lie down for three hours. And I'm like, I, when I go to Ikea, I have to lie down for three hours. Like it's hectic there. Right. So there's a yeah. lot of that. Yeah. So like, I've, I've, I've spoken to neuropsychs about this and they say that most people that report memory problems don't actually have memory problems. Most people that report <laughs> that they have issues with attention and whatever don't actually you know, okay. they don't, they don't present with cognitive, you know, true cognitive impairment. So mm -hmm. my, my first strategy has always been around kind of education. And I think a lot of times with, if you think about something like, let's say in a social construct where you're speaking with somebody and you believe, or, you know, perceive that you have, you know, an inability to remember parts of the conversation. Well, if you're having a conversation with somebody and your mind is thinking like, I'm not going to remember this. You're not focusing on the actual conversation because you're distracted exactly. by, by your own thought process. 
So, exactly. So then I start to, I, I kind of go to the realm of like, okay, does this person actually have a true cognitive impairment or does this person have issues with inattention? Does this person have anxiety? Does this person yeah. have other things that may be distracting them from mm-hmm. the cognitive tasks that, that they're, um, that they're mm-hmm. trying to perform? Do you, I mean, I know you guys have psychotherapists and I'm sure that gets heavily included, but how much do you, do you think about that? So I, I think about it quite often. And I think what's really nice and, and makes things a bit easier, actually, from my perspective, is that as OTs, we're not so concerned with diagnosis. We're more concerned with function. Right. So if someone comes and tells me they're in this conversation at work and they can't remember anything, we're going to practice strategies to write down keywords, to keep maintain their focus, to take regular breaks. And whether it's their anxiety or an actual functional issue, it's not as relevant because the strategies are the same. Right. So, I mean, yes, perhaps, you know, if they're having lots of anxiety, we need some more stress and, and rest and relaxation strategies in there as well. And, and, you know, referral to psychotherapy. I mean, that's always like it, it, some people it's more required than others, but you're going through a traumatic thing in your life. Like you, you need support. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a lot to take on. So, um, always psychotherapy all, and you know, it's just, um, I think it comes down to function and, and seeing what the person's issues are. The other thing I was going to say is that um, what's nice with the testing we do is you get basically a, a range that, you know, are you in the normal range below average or above average compared to a normal healthy person who doesn't have a concussion? And so what I see with a lot of my patients is many are within average. Um, some have some categories that are below average. And then some have, you know, a combination, some things below, some things above. Now, what we don't know, and this sort of gets into, you know, you and I talk about baseline testing a lot too, and we don't know what their pre-injury normals are, right? Mm -hmm. So some of these people might have really strong memory, but really poor planning and organization skills. Mm -hmm. And so we don't know what that would have been prior. So what I do when I get these results is I look at what their lowest scores are, and whether that corresponds to where they're experiencing challenges. And those lower scores, for example, sometimes I work with patients on things that showed up in the average range for their test. And let's say all their scores were average, but that average is somewhere between like 87 points and 100 and whatever, 13 points. And maybe it was on the lower end, maybe they got like a 90. So it's not midpoint of average, it was on the lower end and it's been problematic for them. And maybe pre-injury, Maybe they were on the high end of average, but we don't know, right? right. So yeah. we just, we always just bring it back to function. Are they feeling like this is a challenge? Is it impacting their ability to socialize? Is it impacting their ability to successfully do their job? And then the strategies are the same. Yeah, I love, I love how you said that because what it does is it says, well, this injury or this issue may have been pre-existing, but you say that it's an issue for you. And whether it is due to stress and anxiety, either way, by doing the rehab and doing the repetition, you reinforce the skill and you learn that you can do it, which gives you the confidence to do it. And then maybe in the next social situation, you're, you're, you're not, you know, getting distracted by the thought that you can't do it. You're feeling confident that you can. And, and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's working wonders for you. So I think that's good. And I think what you said too, about having, you know, the normal, we consider that, oh, we're looking for things that are below average. Well, 
you may have scores in the average, but this person used to be exceptional at certain things. Now you can't always rely on the patient report because the amount of patients that tell me that they're, you know, I'm, I have the highest pain threshold you've ever seen. Every patient, every patient has a high pain tolerance according, according to them. And, you know, this is, this is bad. So it, you can't always rely on, on, on necessarily what they say, but that's the thing we don't know. And, um, and, but if they are reporting that, you know, this is an issue, then, you know, I, I see that we should be, we should be working yeah. on it. But I think that including the mental health aspects, um, and one thing that I say, like when I describe to patients what a concussion is and why PCS may be included, and I go through my list of, you know, my five kind of things where I say, you know, number one is autonomic dysregulation. Number two is kind of inflammation hormones, you know, that type of, you know, more systemic things, gut health. Number three, visual vestibular. Number four, neck. Number five, psychological. Now I say, now this one is always involved to some degree because, you know, you've been dealing with this for six months. How could you not? have some anxiety around it? How could you not feel depressed right. about it? And those are barriers. So in order for you to get over those barriers, we have to address this because it's always a part of the picture in persistent symptoms. And the longer it's been there, the more it's there. But oftentimes, if you don't explain it in that way, patients think mental health, you know, you think I'm making this up, you think that it and it's just it's just not the case. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that the way you framed that was really, uh, was really good. Um, anything else on PCS before we kick into acute? I think we can, we can transition. Let's do it. We can transition. All right. So getting people back to work after months and months of being off is obviously a lot harder because you're starting from, you know, a place of basically, you know, nothing. They haven't done anything for months, potentially in, in many cases, or they've been told to sit in a dark room and, you know, not even walk outside or, you know, look at a phone or anything. And now you're trying to get them back to computer. That's, you have a lot of barriers to overcome there. Now, let's say like, how early do you think OT should be involved in the clinical process? Should this be something that every patient right away, boom, OT is part of the clinical picture right from square one? Is that how you see it? If it was free or if people had the resources, perfect 100%. World. Yeah. Perfect world, 100% OTs right away, access to care within a week of their injury, get them started on a plan. They probably will never have to see you again. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, maybe for a return to work plan to make sure they're not doing you know things the wrong way or too much too soon. Um, yeah. My patients who I see early, they almost never need to come back maybe one one off session it's the patients who have you know taken longer and then now are, are stuck more in this pcs cycle so um yes in early intervention right away if you can afford it um or if you have coverage for it or, or resources and then from there just you know depending on on what your needs are and how you're progressing well hopefully we can get that set up with ccmi and the course that you're going to be creating for us um and yes i'm so looking forward to that yeah um, so how early, let's go through your acute return to work strategy. Somebody's come in, it's been three days since their injury. Where do you, where, where are you at? Where do you start? Oh my gosh. It is so individualized. Like I have patients who, you know, day three, they're like, you know what? I feel pretty much back to normal. And, but, but, you know, can they do their, their normal activities or not? So you you have, I'm going to try and slow my thinking down here because there's a whole bunch of different scenarios that I'm picturing. And so um, let's start with the patient who's feeling good. And then we'll talk about the patient who's not feeling good. So the patient who's, who's feeling good, like they had their injury, 
maybe they have, you know, some headaches and dizziness and nausea for, you know, one to two days. And you see them on, let's say day three, and they're like, yeah, like I barely have a headache anymore. I feel pretty good. Um, well, you know, just because they feel good, you're not just going to say, okay, you can go back to work. You need to look at, again, can they still do their daily activities? Can they get outside for, you know, a 20 minute walk? Can they go on their computer for 20 minutes? All these basic things. If yes, then we look, okay, can you do more than that and, and sort of bring them up and, and see where they're at? So by the time they meet you, let's say they can, they've been on their computer all day. It hasn't made their symptoms worse. Probably what we would say is, okay, keep doing what you're doing. Keep building up your activities. Let's plan for a return to work for Monday, but we're going to just start with half days, three days a week. So even if they're feeling perfect, I still want them on a modified schedule because it's just better to go too slow than too fast. And you know, if they have to take one extra week of work, that's half days more than they needed. That's so much better than being off work for an extra six weeks more than they needed. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, that's great. Okay. What so about the other, the other one? Yeah. So that's the patient who's feeling good. The patient who's not feeling good. Um, we're not even going to touch their return to work until they can do some minimal amount of their daily activities. Um, so can they do, I mean, these markers are, are sort of arbitrary, but can they even do, you know, 10 to 20 minutes of basic things like going for a walk, like using a computer, reading all these tasks that you need to do to a much greater extent in work. If the answer is no, we're not even considering work yet. We're just like, can you function a little mm -hmm. bit in your day to day and getting you back there first? And then once they can function and, and do these things, we're building them up again to that sort of three hour block of time. And once they can do that three hour block of time, we're saying, okay, let's work with your employer, with your insurance, if you have to figure out a return date, which will be sometime in the next few weeks. And then keep trying to build in the meantime, up to that four hour day so that we can send you back for a successful three hours. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. So I'd say, yeah, I would just add one thing is I would say it's, it's pretty similar to those who are in the more persistent symptoms category, the main difference is that when you're in the earlier stage, I mean, I work with patients who are like, really, I feel fine. Can't I just try a full week? And if I don't feel good, you know, I'll, I'll go off. And I just say like, absolutely not. Like yeah. you will thank me. And they always do. They're like, you were right. That was so much more draining than I thought it would be. Uh, like even just being off work and then going back is draining. So mm -hmm. even, even without an injury. So yes, like always just go slow. I, and I, what I tell them is if you go back and do the half days, three days a week, and you're like, this feels super easy and I'm fine. Sure. The next week, go back, go full time. That's fine. That's your choice. But that very first week back, you've got to do it modified. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I try to, you know, find analogies for patients too and even just being on a vacation for a week when you come back your first three days of work you're like oh my god like how do I do this normally it's like you just you have right. to build up your stamina again and I think that it's you know it's more important and plus when you think about what's happening in concussion you have this sympathetic drive right your autonomic nervous system is is all a whack so you need to kind of work on on pulling that back a little bit so I think that's that's really good advice I want to go through the chat here and see if we have any questions before we go because we're we get limited on Instagram to an hour so if anyone has any questions regarding you know return to work your own thing um put them in the chat and we'll see if we can get to them here um somebody's asking about vision therapy is it helpful three years plus yes it can be if you have a visual issue uh, let's see. Did you say anything? Just a minute there.
we're going to be talking about return to school in the new year. So I didn't want to bring that up, but um, we'll talk about that at the next time we chat. One of the most frustrating parts is getting my doctor to hear me. Yep. All right, let's see if we have any coming in here. Lion's mane. That'll be a uh, that'll be a topic for a Dr. Herkel one, I think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was thinking the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. It doesn't seem like we have any questions. Um, great. So, do you have any any final any final words? We I'll I'll, I'll plug your Instagram and your and your socials again. Um, at Jenny Diamond Health, J E N N I Diamond Health, and at the dot concussion OTs, OTS, or it's concussion dot OT, sorry. Oh, here we go. Somebody says, Why does my mind go blank when I'm asked questions about my injury? I mean, I think that's pretty, pretty broad. It could be a number of different things. I was thinking the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to kind of, I would get to the root of that. I would do some reflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Currently working as a teaching assistant two days a week and wanting to move. Um, and because a healthcare assistant, is there anything I should do? I'm not sure I understand that. Can you see that question? There, Jenny? Uh, I, I can see it. I, I'm, I don't understand it either. If you can just yeah. send it again and, and maybe reword it. Currently working as a teaching assistant two days a week, wanting to move. Do you mean move locations or move jobs? And because maybe of because and become maybe become and become a healthcare assistant. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if she gets that. Okay. Uh, and then somebody's asking, "Will this be available later?" Yes, it will. It'll be on YouTube uh, at the Complete Concussions YouTube. It'll also be on my podcast, Ask Concussion Doc. Uh, what about somebody who is highly educated and experienced and was out of work during the time of the accident and now I've been out for over two years? How do I ensure success with the search? This is a great question. Somebody who's not working, how do you get a job? Because nobody's going to take somebody who's, you know. It's really tough. It's really tough. I, you might have some advice as well. I was just going to jump in and say one of the best things that that I think you can do is um, take a take a role initially that is lower down than what you are actually even capable of knowing that and maybe that's even volunteering to start right so maybe it's something unpaid just to you know get used to being on your feet and, and or doing stuff on your computer um, maybe it's something you know a step down just to give you back that confidence and almost think of that role as your rehab so you want to think of that as you know you're not getting back to your ultimate high paying job yet but you're going to get back to something that's, you know, a step along the way just to rehab to get there. That is the best advice. Um, I Thank love you. that. I love that. Like, cause it's people go, well, I was this and I want to get back to here. And it's like, yeah, but you might not be able to do all that at once. Right. Like I used to run marathons and now I haven't run in six years and I want to try and run right. a marathon. Well, you don't start at the marathon, right? You start really, really low and you kind of work your way back up the totem pole. And it's obviously it's frustrating and it's, maybe a bit ego damaging, yeah. but I think that's such a great way to look at it is, you know, gain the confidence, gain the, uh, you know, the, uh, the day-to-day. -day. Okay, here we go. Uh, yes, become. So this person wants to become a health, uh, I'm trying to piece it all together here. A healthcare assistant. Wanting to become a health 
care assistant. So you're wanting to switch jobs, I think, essentially, is what we're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. Still two days a week, but just a new job. So I think it it might be the same thing. I don't know. You're going into a new role. Um, mm -hmm. Looking at what, what demands there are involved in that role. Are you capable right now of tolerating them from a symptom perspective? And then aside from, you know, the symptom tolerance standpoint, you know, you then it just it's a new job it's a new learning curve for anyone and so um, breaking things up going in as prepared as you can be maybe working also with an OT to help you and uh, you know if there's opportunities to start part-time even that could be helpful as well so um, somebody's asking if the school one can be done earlier but because uh, they want to they want to be able to listen to it for Christmas break that would have been smart of me to book it that way, but I didn't. Uh, so it's it's going to be January 19th, unfortunately, because we have other ones booked kind of in the interim. So apologies on that. But yes, that's a great suggestion. Send us a message if, if you have questions on uh, the concussion OT's Instagram. Yeah, can, yeah, you can, you yeah, you can use that resource too. Um, okay. I think that was, uh, that was great. I think that was a great discussion. Um, and if people have questions, feel free to message Jenny or myself either on social media or comment on YouTube or, or anything else. Any final parting words? You can check out the Neurology Center as well if you're looking for a referral, uh, if you're in the Toronto area uh, or even from elsewhere. I get a lot of requests from people in the States and Europe and stuff. So maybe somebody wants to venture. Yeah. And uh, I guess the only last thoughts I would, I would provide around uh, returning to work and, and the role of an OT because we spoke about that gradual return but we didn't get a chance to speak too much about types of accommodations and just know that there's lots of different accommodations that an OT can help you get in your workplace whether that's taking regular rest breaks whether that's being able to use earplugs or taking a break in a quiet room if you're in person um, there's so many different things that your healthcare provider, not even necessarily your OT, your chiro or your physio might be able to help you with that. So, um, or your family doctor. So just make sure to ask for accommodations as you need them and work with a healthcare provider to put those things in place. Right on. Jenny Diamond, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks guys for joining us on, on the live here on Instagram. I'm going to shut it down now. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.